Today's guest is Jack Bybee. While Jack was trying to get away from apartheid in South Africa, he fell very ill and had a near-death experience. And today we're going to learn about it. Jack, thank you so much for being my guest and welcome. Uh, thank you so much, Jeff. appreciate it. All right. All right. Well, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences. If you don't mind, can we start on the day that yours happened and have you tell us about it? Yes. Uh, I just caution you, Jeff, when it comes to relating and trying to help people understand about death and death consciousness, I do have a pause button to stop me talking. So uh, you're welcome to press that pause button anytime, all right? All right, thank you. Okay. Uh, May 1972, I was quite happily working in a bookstore in Cape Town. In fact, if I move my head out of the way, you could see very close to where the bookstore is at the foot of Table Mountain uh, on the screen behind me. Um, I had met a fellow who had asked me to come to work in London. His father was a publisher and he would work um, a position for me. I wanted to go to the Munich Olympics um, and I thought I'd go to the Munich Olympics, hitchhike across Europe, and go to work for this company in, in, in London. The problem was I needed money, and I just couldn't get the flight together. I'd, I had quit my job, and I tried to borrow money, it didn't work out. I had a terrible argument. I fell very, very ill. And that's when the event that changed my life completely occurred. I landed up in hospital. After a good while, I heard angelic voices calling me, calling me. Uh, my research into the NDE has shown that there is also a, um, a concept called the deathbed vision. Um, that, as described by Ken Ring, uh, PMH Atwater, and uh, Bruce Grayson, and some other researchers, is when you... Um, you ex you experience um, a thinning of the curtain of consciousness. Uh, many medical people will, will tell you that uh, Aunt Mabel is in hospital and she's very sad, but she's very ill, she's terminally ill, she's on medication, and that she starts hallucinating. In fact, Aunt Mabel was talking about... Uh, Uncle Harry, who passed away t 10 years ago. That's a deathbed vision. I had one of those. It takes a lot for me to say this, especially in public. But I saw a man, tall, good-looking, long white robes and an auburn beard, and the most empathic eyes that I have ever seen. 
ever. And he kept beckoning to me. I now know who that man was because we met on the other side again. But again I heard the angelic voices calling me, Home, come home, you are tired, come home and rest. Eventually, that's all I needed. I was so weak, so tired, I said, yes, which of course proves that nothing can happen to you unless you allow it to happen to you. Uh, in spirit, I flew out of my body. I looked down. There's my, there's this horrible form lying under a sheet on the, uh, on the gurney in the corner of the hospital ward. And in spirit, I flew up through the ceiling of the hospital and looked down on uh, at night. It must have been about two or three o'clock in the morning. Uh, and the entire Cape of Good Hope was dark, except for, of course, the city lights. And the moon was shining down on the South Atlantic and the Indian Ocean. Behind me, I saw what I now call the tunnel open up. And in spirit, I saw at the very end of the tunnel a light, the light. And at that moment, nothing else, want, uh, uh, nothing else mattered. All I wanted to do was to get to the light, the being of light the proverbial light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I, I didn't know anything about metaphysics at that stage. I do now, but not then. In spirit, I traveled faster than I have ever traveled. Time lost all meaning. And I landed up on the other side, to be greeted by what I presume now were relatives that, quite frankly, I never recognized, except for uh, my grandfather, who had passed on years before. I've, I've now, I've written a book called The Journal of Run. My grandfather, it's a very sad tale, in fact. But it all ties into meeting him on the other side. Uh, my grandfather's born in Iowa, in southwest Iowa, and he ran away from the homestead to try and find a relative, Charlie Elmer. He never did. He got to San Francisco, got got hit over the head on a on a Friday night. This was in 1897, and got thrown on board a sailing ship. They headed for uh, uh, for Cape Horn. They rounded Cape Horn, and in the mid-Atlantic, they got hit by a tsunami. He say, uh, my grandfather saved the life of the first mate and earned his his. Uh, freedom. And that, after a mutiny, they persuaded the captain to head for the nearest shore. 
that happened to be Cape Town, South Africa, the image behind me on the screen. Uh, there, my grandfather met my grandmother, and the rest is history. That's how the Bibies got to South Africa. The thing is, my grandfather, in 1972, I had only the vaguest of vaguest aspirations of becoming a writer. But here, my grandfather says to me, I like the book you wrote. I like it very much. And thank you for writing the book. <laughs> what book? What are you talking about? Right. Uh, let me introduce you to quantum on the other side. What was happening was my grandfather in quantum, which in death consciousness or heaven or the other side is virtually the same thing. And he had come to realize that I would write a book. I've called it the Journal of Rudd. It took me years to write because, as you well know, I don't speak standard American. I speak English, and the uh, I, I certainly do not speak American as of 1897. So I had to do a lot of research to write the journal as if my grandfather... Uh, Frank Rudd Bybee had written it. It's now on Amazon. Uh, it still needs an edit or two, but it has been published. The thing is, uh, apropos uh, the NDE, I didn't know I was going to write a book, but my grandfather actually uh, thanked me for, for it. From there, in death consciousness, I met a, a spirit guide, uh, a loincloth and a white robe over his shoulder. He told me his name was Stephen. Well, that's my middle name. And he showed me some wonderful things. And my relatives and Stephen, my guide, told me not to be afraid that everything would be all right. How anyone can be afraid on the on the other side, I know not. I really don't. It's I was enveloped in perfect in perfect love. The thing was, I was shown what I now realize are the Akasic uh, records. That is, uh, Stephen showed me up the steps of an old temple, and he introduced me to the Akashic records, bearing in mind that I learned that everything on the other side happens by thought. And there, as a metaphor to the fact that I was in publishing, on either side of the aisle that seemed to stretch into eternity were shelves. And on the shelves were leather-bound tombs, books. I thought, how marvelous, I'd like to see a book. And instantly, there was the book, 
in my hands. I thought, open. And the book opened. And then I saw, I learned the lesson. Because every page of every book seemed to have a library shelf into eternity of other books. And every page I turned had an image of library and library shelves and library books. I now understand that that is the content or it's an illustration of the content of knowledge in the universe, in what lies beyond on the other side. Uh, from there came something that I am now positive creates the changes in the life, uh, in the near-death experience. Uh, Jeff, you've heard of the changes in character of the near-death experience. Before, before my near-death uh, near experience, I was, I was a different person. Yes, I loved mountaineering because I could get away from the hurt of apartheid. But I was one of the shyest introverted people that you could ever imagine. Do I look like a shy introvert right now? I don't think so, right? Okay. The life review. Now, one thing you must understand, Jeff, is the fact there is no, there is no judgment on the other side. Or rather, there is a judgment but it's not by an old man with a long gray beard and all that. That, that. that doesn't happen as far as I'm concerned, as far as my NDE research shows, that doesn't happen. The judgment does exist when the self, you, me, the, in spirit, are shown the past and the life just passed. And this brings me to something I'm adamant about, that every spirit on the planet needs to know about. And that is, as my spirit was transitioning the tunnel, I, I heard the voice of the being of light of God for the first time. I was asked three questions. What have you done with the life just passed? What do you mean? Life just passed. I'm alive. I can move. I can think. I can feel. I can see. I'm, I'm alive. I didn't realize I was alive and, uh, and life doesn't end. The, uh, our uh, physical body, that stays behind. Yeah. But life is eternal. That, that was the first question. Whom have you loved and been loved by? Well, in South Africa, I was very ill. Um, I didn't do well in high school. And my mother said, girls wouldn't like me if I didn't get a good, well-paying 
job and do well at school. Well, I had a border collie, and the border collie loved me every time I put I, I put food in his plate. So I expect him to come bounding across the universe to meet me when I I kick the bucket uh, a second time. And the third uh, uh, question I was asked, what have you learned? Upon my return, I drove the librarian in my hometown nuts. Remember, this is 1972. Uh, apartheid raged. I asked some questions. I asked many questions that under apartheid, in a police state, a state controlled by the church was an absolute no-no. The thing was, I didn't realize, and even until midway through my undergrad year at the University of Arizona in Tucson, only then did I realize it's not the answer to that question, what have you learned? would not be found in any book or textbook or anything. It comes from in the heart. What have you learned? Well, the whole things I still need to learn, and that's where I'm hoping my movie and the book Memories of Eternity are going to come into play. Anyway, um, that was... Uh, in the life review, of course, there are, you see, like on a big monitor, your uh, life that has passed. I was shown basically from the time mom and dad conceived me. I saw and felt emotion and events. And very often I was shown an event in my life and the voice of God, the voice of the being of light, said, was that a loving thing to do? It wasn't a, it wasn't a judgment. It was a question. Against perfect love and against the, the, the event that I just seen again how could I answer yes it was a, a, a story I often tell is about a rag doll a little girl I must have been I saw in my life review I saw myself and a little girl uh, our, my parents had gone out to uh, to visit uh, 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 this uh, woman had a lovely house with lawns and a fish pond and the little girl and a stroller and the rag doll and I, at seven, eight years old, were playing on the lawn. The little girl had to go in for, for something or other. I took the rag doll and threw it in the fish pond. You know, little boys do this type of thing. Then it came to the to the to the surface. <laughs> so I took a stone and put a stone on the fish uh, on the rag doll. 
that that night uh, the phone goes, my mother, do you know where your friend's ragdoll is? Now, I'm a little boy. I don't play with ragdolls. Next day, same thing. Phone goes, are you sure that John doesn't know where the ragdoll is? No, I don't know where the ragdoll is. No, forget it. I'm a little boy. I knew I'd done wrong. I, I knew that. But in 1972, when I had my NDE, I had completely forgotten about that ragdoll incident. My subconscious and my guilt had not forgotten. And in my life review, I saw that again. And in my life review, I heard the voice of the being of light. Was that a loving thing to do? Period. That changed me completely. I'm now vegetarian. I cannot kill. I mean, my ex and I had numerous discussions in New Jersey when she said, it's summertime, the back lawn needs to be mowed. Well, wait a minute. How can I be so arrogant as to mow down a blade of grass? For heaven's sake, doesn't the blade of grass have a right to reach the sun? How can I go and kill a blade of grass? Well, that sort of might be a little bit on the let's get out of mowing the lawn a number on a Sunday afternoon excuse. But I, I say again, and this comes down to suicide that we spoke about before you, you began recording. Uh, there... I'm certain now that when we are called to the other side, whatever you want to call it, heaven, uh, 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 the other side, uh, death consciousness, that the spirit is waiting for us. Uh, They are prepared. If I kill or if... I get shot, as happens only too regularly in the United States these days. And or someone, we go off to war and we kill another person. It's an unexpected death. And that creates problems for the spirit that is then in process to the other side. I'm adamant against killing of any sort. That's that. Um, Let me see. Uh, Do you have any questions for me at the moment, Jeff? In the very beginning, you mentioned that you saw somebody in robes, and then I guess that was the same person that you saw later, and that was your spirit guide, Stephen? No, that was Christ. Oh, okay, so the very beginning you saw Jesus. Yes, as I explained, it's a deathbed vision. Did you interact with Christ later? Yes. I guess we haven't got to that yet. Um, no, but it is a very, very personal exchange. 
I can tell you about it now if you'd like. Sure. Um, it was right at the end of the NDE. Um, and all of a sudden, I recognized this man standing there. And we communicated. I, I often use the word, oh, uh, oh, we spoke. But speaking is not right. It's I thought the thought and we communicated telepathically. Um, I was told a number of things that are important. The first thing I was told by this man with the most empathic eyes I've ever seen, that love is the greatest force in the universe. And I would go on to say, and the universes that lie beyond. The second thing is that really hit home was my message has been completely misunderstood. And I'm, I, if I'm going for, uh, for, from memory here, I was asked to go back and to impart to others that there is no fear of death, or there should be no fear of death. But before we got to that, or before I got to that uh, part, uh, after the life review, it, and an event, I was shown lessons, and events occurred that are really phenomenal. The one thing I saw against the purple void, this little speck of orangey light, and the voice of God said, that is what you call your son, S-U-N. Oh, really? And I saw in a horizontal plane, three little specks of light. And the third little speck of light had an emotional attraction. It had a greenish hue. And in thought, I pulled the speck of light closer and realized, yeah, it's the earth. But the lesson was, as the being of light uh, then said, do you now perceive how meaningless is the pursuit of the material? It takes a little bit of thought. But there's the sun, there's Mercury, there's Venus, there's Earth. What earthly, if you pardon the pun, what earthly use is money or material possessions? viewed from the astronomical or from another realm, as I now believe we were in. Um, that was one of the lessons that has really impacted me, that material goods are of no concern in the light of love. There were other lessons I was shown, well, I was shown 
the future. And the future of our beautiful, beautiful planet that we are ruining. <laughs> Thank goodness, I honestly don't believe it is in the very near future. It's in the future for certain. Otherwise, why was I shown it? But it must be probably about 500 to 1,000 years from now, I hope. Every ocean has evaporated. It's gone. No oceans left. I can only imagine there's no life left. And to my horror, sheets, enormous sheets of flame are shooting across the planet. It's, it's scary, to, to say the least. And that I can only imagine if there is a cockroach alive, that's the end of that cockroach. It's roasted. Okay, so you said that Jesus said that his message is misunderstood. Well, I'm not, I want to be clear on that. What is the message that is misunderstood? I, this is my personal opinion, but I am pretty certain that the message that Christ has is of love, period. That, uh, again, a personal opinion. A, f a few years ago, I was exploring my home religion of uh, Protestant uh, Christianity. And I spoke to a church or two, to the pastors, uh, both in New Jersey and here in Arizona. And the one pastor said to me, I said, do you not think that in time of recession, it was the Great Recession, we should be helping the congregation, should be helping the poor, those hungry and homeless. And this one pastor said to me, no, we help the, our congregation. The, the rest, they can look after themselves. To me, that's a message of Christ that has been completely misunderstood. Is it a loving thing to do, to go to war, to kill? That's a message misunderstood. Is it a loving thing to destroy the environment? Is that a loving thing to do when as a publisher, as a writer, as a bookseller, I have been responsible for killing probably for forests of trees that have been killed to produce books? Is that a loving thing to do? That's what I understand. What I was told was my message has been completely misunderstood. Does that answer your question, Jeff? Yes. Now, when you were in the Akashic Records temple or hall, would you say that it looked like a white Greek or Roman temple? 
it looked like a, a Greek t t t temple. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I've had a couple other guests, I think, describe the same thing. So it's nice to hear oh, really? another confirmation of that. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the issue, and I'm not quite too certain about this, but I suspect that the other side presents issues that are a metaphor for the spirit whose life has just passed. Uh, it's presented to us, or to me, so that I can understand, in a method that I can understand. That's what I think. I might be wrong on that. All right. Well, what other things have we left out of your experience here? Because I've kind of had you jump around a little bit. Yes, I do apologize for that. That's I didn't realize the interview was going to be this long. Give me just one second. I've got some notes. Okay, that's okay. Well, while you're thinking of that, let me interrupt you and ask you this. You told me that one way you've changed is you've become a vegetarian. I think you've become a person that's against war, against violence. What other ways have you changed after your experience? Boom. <laughs> I, I have, that's a very interesting question. As I said at the beginning, I have definitely evolved into a far more functional person. I have become a lot more aware of the consequences of my actions, uh, apropos the rag doll being thrown into the fish pond. Uh, that's that's not the only thing. In my everyday life, I'm because of the life review I maintain. I'm a lot more aware. I'm uh, also aware that I'm alive and that I've got many many things to do. It's it's a personal. Uh, crusade, you could almost say, to try and alert people that there should be no fear of death. That's the reason of the book, uh, Memories of Eternity. And if you don't mind, let me explain the title of the book. Okay. The near-death experience of which I have, uh, I'm one now, has uh, something that uh, what I say normal people do not have, and that is m memories of the other side, of death consciousness, of the consequences of our actions, and of eternity. And that's why I labeled the book, or have so far created it, and the movie as well, I hope, if that ever comes about, uh, memories of eternity. But how have I changed? I'm not half as, as fearful as I was. And, but, of course, awareness has its downside because other than the sheets of flame that I, force, uh, I was uh, 
shown. I've also foreseen, I've been shown the future as well. And that's not too nice. There's the issue of um, the Madrid fault here in the United States, in, uh, in Missouri. It runs up to the Mississippi. I was shown, I honestly don't know when it's going to happen, but I cannot understand why I was shown it unless it does happen. And that was, I was shown an event looking down on to the United States, a mass of people, millions and millions of people walking along every highway out away from the northeast towards the southwest. Why? I have no idea. I, I really do not know. I cannot understand it. That's another lesson I, I was shown. Why could it be because there's going to be an earthquake on the eastern seaboard? Could it be that the new Madrid fault is going to come alive? Most uh, seismologists tend to expect the San Andreas to erupt. We're having uh, volcanoes about to erupt in Alaska. The ring of fire is there, but an earthquake has not happened on the eastern seaboard for eons or not a major earthquake. And what could have happened to move millions of people, of Americans, who don't like to walk away out of the Northeast by walking, I do not know. I honestly don't believe it was a terrorist attack or a nuclear attack or something like that. But something happened that caused infrastructure to stop. I don't know if you know this, but I believe there was a there was an earthquake in the 1800s on that fault line in Missouri. That's think, the one I'm referring. Yeah, to. and I think for three days the Mississippi flowed backwards. That's right. That's right. I'd overlooked that. But that was the 1800s whenever. Right. Now, um, you've got gas lines, you've got power lines, you've got telecommunication, you've got roads and rail all going across that fault, going from the East Coast into the interior of the United States. I don't know what's going to happen. I saw it. I'm not trying to be a fearmonger. Right. The only thing I could say is, or at least what comes to mind is, if everybody's walking out of the Northeast, that means to me that an electromagnetic pulse happened and it fried all the electronics and all the cars. So everybody had to walk. Maybe that was from a... That's that's could, a very good possibility. It could have been from a asteroid hitting, because I think an asteroid can could create the same effect. It could be from possibly a nuclear explosion up in the sky. Who knows? I've had to shelve it for the moment, 
but part of another uh, piece of uh, fiction. Um, I wrote about the uh, this, um, the New Madrid Fault, and I envisaged an asteroid creating that type of chaos. And then I shelved it because it just creates more fear. Yeah. Is that a loving right. thing to do? Um, yes, an asteroid could hit us. Uh, and NASA has been saying it could happen. It could happen. It could not necessarily be an asteroid. I mean, we've got gazillions of pieces of space, uh, of satellites, of, of the junk yeah. going around. I believe the Chinese had a piece of this, of their space station come uh, in, uh, in a while ago. Uh, where did it hit? Uh, completely uncontrolled. It might have hit New York. Who knows? To finish up your near-death experience, how did you come back? Were you told to come back, or did you just wake up in your body, or what happened? Uh, there's another lesson. Um, understand that I was living in the horror of apartheid. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I'm on the other side. Perfect love. I'm surrounded by the feeling of love. I love it there. The lesson I learned, because I said, look, you, uh, I was told, uh, your time has not yet come. Your race has not yet run. You must return. You have life lessons to learn. And the lesson I then learned was, do not argue with God. You won't win. (laughs) Because I argued and argued and argued. Every spirit I could pull up or or think of, I do not want to go back to apartheid. I want to stay here. I'm staying here. You have life lessons to learn. And down the tunnel I went to recover consciousness in a rather odd manner. I was moving. I was on my back with a white gauze over my face. Very painfully, I moved my left arm up and moved the sheet off my face. There, I was on what you people call um, a gurney, a trolley, being wheeled to the hospital morgue. Wow. There was an Afrikaner uh, porter behind me and an Afrikaner in front of me holding onto the trolley, going down the passageway to what I believe was the morgue. Very slowly and very, I, <laughs> I sat up. Because I think that that uh, rigor mortis must have already started to occur in my joints, and the Africana porter at the bottom, believe me on, believe me not on this. It was in a hospital. He had uh, a cigarette hanging out of the corner of his mouth. He turned around. He looked at me 
is sitting upright on the trolley, he let out an expletive that I will not repeat now, <laughs> turned around, and my next conscious recollection is the swing doors at the bottom of the passage were doing their best to hold on to the hinges on the door frame. And I think the poor fellow is still running. Mm. Uh, uh, he just took off. Um, I Subsequently, I've written a little short story. I gladly let you have it or any of the viewers. It's called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Morgue. Mm. Um, the thing was, I was, I was alive uh, on the earth plane and the technicians who had tried to save my life, the doctor, the, uh, the professor of psychiatry, uh, uh, whose office was right next to the ward, uh, the hospital per se, they wouldn't, feed me and they wouldn't produce any food or anything because I had been discharged. I was dead. And people don't come alive. They don't happen. Well, the professor of psychiatry very kindly the night before had made lunch for me and meals for me and come in to the hospital to to bring me food and it happened for a couple of days then they got the hospital superintendent or I think it was the assistant medical superintendent to come to witness the fact that yes I was actually alive mm. and yeah I, w I would like some supper, please, if you don't mind. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it's a hell of a thing to be an NDE, I can assure you. <laughs> Anything else I can add, Jeff? Well, after you've been back for a while, are you happy to be back and wanting to learn, you know, new lessons? Or were you just wanting to go back? I just want to go back. Hardly a day goes past, hardly a day goes past that I do not conjure up an image or two out of death consciousness. When I got back, I mean, if things were so difficult, um, I could see the aura. For years, I could see the aura around the mountains, around the protea, the vegetation, around other people. It was only when I got here to the United States that because of the materialism and also leaving Africa behind, my emotion lies in Africa. But I think constantly of the near-death experience, and, and I, I suppose it what has propelled me to re research and to write as much as I have. The thing I'd like to quote you, um, Einstein, I believe he was in New Jersey, in Princeton, was asked by a reporter, Dr. Einstein, is there something you still need to know, you'd like to know? 
and he replied, All I need know are the thoughts of God. The rest is details. Well, I hope the Honorable Dr. Einstein will forgive me for for paraphrasing his thing. But what I say, at this moment, now, all I need to know, all I need do is to merge again with the mind of God. The rest is details. So are you saying that ever since 1972, when this happened, this experience has never faded like a memory? It's been with you every day, and you can't shake it. That's quite correct. Uh, I learned in psychology. I did an undergrad in psychology here, uh, also trying to find out if there was a textbook that could answer the question, what have you learned? Well, the thing... uh, uh, Oh, dear, I've lost my train of thought. Uh, Ask the question again, please. I was just talking to you about ever since 1972, the memory of this experience never faded. It just, and you can't shake it. You can't get away from it. That is correct. I learned in psychology, the stronger the emotion surrounding an event, the longer lasting the memory of that event. And uh, I experienced more emotion in death and love. And yes, the, uh, my NDE occurred in 1972. I think of it and remember issues constantly. You're quite correct. What do you think inspires you the most about your near-death experience? The fact that I believe not too many people on the planet, remember, have memories of eternity. That's one way of putting it. What inspires me? The means to communicate to anyone who'd listen. I have no, I have no need to, uh, to preach or to uh, propagate a philosophy or whatever. But if someone asks me, and remember, when I, I I tried to argue with God, and I said, I do not want to go back to apartheid. I said, how will I know what to do? The voice of God said, ask, and it shall be manifested unto you. Well, I keep asking. I ask for guidance every night. Every day, guide my thoughts, guide my words, guide my deeds. I feel special, though I honestly don't think I am special. But yes, if someone asks me, what is death consciousness about? Uh, I saw on a group on on Facebook just recently, I saw messages about, I'm so fearful about death. Don't be. 
there is no need to fear death. You need to get your your affairs in order. It's the end of this lifetime. All your material possessions are going to be left behind. But hey, there is an eternity of lifetimes ahead of you. That's the way I reason it. After your near-death experience and encountering both Jesus and God, did you change your religious viewpoints? Yes, no, and maybe. The organized religion, I think, especially the Protestant religion, has completely lost its way. Uh, The message of love, I haven't found. Maybe it's just me. It might, it might very well be, but the message of love is not, is not there. I've, I've, uh, I now walk a spiritual path. Um, I encountered a, a set of books uh, by name of uh, the. Um, Conversations with God, and that has really allowed me to understand that to change my thinking. By changing my thinking, I change m- my reality, and I don't. I've changed my th- thinking f- from being introverted and being uh, fearful to being, I suppose, normal, or what normal is for me. What are the names of your books, and where can people find them? Most of my publishing is on Amazon. Um, But Amazon is also an issue because I haven't been there for a long time. There are one or two books. um, The the easiest... uh, Thing to tell your viewer, I tell them to come to my website, but not before in the next week. The website is www.jbasproductionsus.com. I did send that to you on direct messenger. You've got that. Uh, the one book I'm really wanting to finish by uh, the middle of September. It, w- it should be for published by uh, publication by October is Memories of Eternity. I've got other, uh, other pieces of writing, the Journal of Rudd, which is a journal of my grandfather's adventures from America to Africa. Those are the two that I'm I'm confident about uh, putting out there. All right. Well, we've got your website. We've got your books. If somebody wants to reach out to you and ask questions, sure. Are you a public person? And if so, how would they reach you? Uh, am I a public person? 
well, not really. Uh, I mean, I'm not a public official, but uh, as I understand you, uh, you can reach me uh, at... Uh, uh, the easiest would be come to the website, leave... Uh, there'll be a form, a contact form, uh, I, and that will be the easiest... I can leave you my email. The only the reason why I'm I'm hesitant now is uh, because of putting out my email and then having to be hacked and stuff like that. But that is um, or contact me via Jack Bybee on on Messenger on on Facebook. That will that will be the easiest way to contact me. And uh, if you've got questions, I'll gladly answer them. Okay, great. All right. Before we finish up here, if you're feeling up to it, would you like to give one last message? The three questions: What have you done with the life just passed? Whom have you loved and been loved by? What have you learned? I am 99.9% certain that every spirit that passes is probably going to have to answer a question, those three questions or a form of it. And remember, if you're in doubt, ask, and it shall be manifested unto you, period. All right. Jack, thank you so much for that message. And thank you so much for being my guest. I really appreciate you. I wish you the best and have a great evening. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. I thank you for asking me on. And if I can help anybody, let me know. All right. Thank you and goodbye. Namaste. Alles funny beste. Many thanks, Jeff. Appreciate it, lad. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jack out. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.